the pilgrims would have applied to themselves a psalm's description of escaping persecution and imprisonment. The pilgrims contended with all sorts of illness along the way, and they certainly saw themselves as seeking God's protection as they came to a new world, which they saw as a wilderness. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 222, the Todah of William Bradford. I am Mayor Soloveitchik. Over 400 years ago, the Mayflower set sail for the New World. On board was William Bradford, who had served for decades as governor of Plymouth Colony, and whose memoir is still the central source of knowledge about the colonists' triumphs and travails. Bradford's grave is in Plymouth as well, an obelisk marking the spot and bearing his name. And as I pointed out in commentary, above the engraved words, a phrase appears, etched in Hebrew, Hashem Ezer Chayai, the Lord is the help of my life. To most tourists, the Hebrew words are gibberish, but to Jews who come upon them, they ought to serve as a source of fascination. As I further explained in my essay, the origin of the intriguing epitaph can be found in Nick Bunker's fascinating book on the pilgrims, Making Haste from Babylon. There, Bunker reveals Bradford's fascination with Hebrew and how at the end of his life, he began to study what he saw as a sacred script. Bunker writes, quote, Nearly 40 years after landing on Cape Cod, William Bradford began to teach himself Hebrew. I have had a longing desire, he said, to see with my own eyes something of that most ancient language and holy tongue and what names were given to things from the creation. To help him, he had a Hebrew grammar bequeathed by William Brewster, and the same early American library contained a Hebrew dictionary. Paper was scarce. For that reason, Bradford copied out his exercises on blank pages at the front of the manuscript of his History of the Plantation. He covered the white space with nearly 900 Hebrew words, starting with eight names for God. End quote. Bunker, in his book, further reveals that Bradford's engagement with Jewish tradition began on the Mayflower itself, because one book that he bore with him was a commentary on the Psalms by the English Hebrewist Henry Ainsworth, and it is in Bradford's copy of the Psalms that we find an important Jewish connection to the American story of Thanksgiving. Psalm 100 begins with the words, Mizmor litodah, which means that this psalm was sung during the bringing of a todah, a Thanksgiving offering, in the temple. The psalm is relatively brief. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. That is the psalm sung for the Todah offering. But what sort of experience would inspire one to bring a Todah to the temple? Here we turn to the lengthier psalm 107, which begins with the exclamation, Give praise unto God, for he is good, and his mercies endure forever. The psalm then delineates four situations in which individuals may find themselves in a form of distress, in which they cry out to God and are saved. The first scenario involves those traveling in the wilderness. The psalm reads, They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Note that this last verse that I just read begins in Hebrew, Yodu lahashem chasto, which can also be rendered, Let them confess to the Lord for his goodness. This, then, is the case of those saved from the wilderness. The next case is of those released from prison. The psalm continues. 
such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and condemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bands in sunder. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. The next case involves those that were suffering from illness and were healed. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble and he saveth them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. And finally, we have those involved in a dangerous sea crossing. The psalm reads, They that go down to the sea in ships and do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven, they go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. Four cases. Jewish law thereby distinguishes these experiences. The survival of a journey through the desert or the sea, being released from prison, and the healing of an illness as events obligating one in temple times to offer a todah, a thanksgiving korban. Today, in the absence of this offering, we are instead obligated to bless the birkat hagomel, a blessing referencing the Almighty as Hagomel, he that bestows goodness upon human beings. It is therefore striking that when we look to a citation from the original version of William Bradford's Psalms that he brought with him on the Mayflower, we find that the commentary by Henry Ainsworth cites the Jewish laws of Berkat Hagomel in the name of none other than Maimonides himself. I'm grateful to Moshe Sokolow, whose wonderful article in Jewish Ideas Daily, which we have sent you today, alerted me to Nick Bunker's book about the pilgrims and cites for us the original passage from Ainsworth. Here it is, a commentary on Psalm 107. Quote, And from this psalm and this verse of it, the Hebrews have this canon. Four must confess unto God, the sick when he is healed, the prisoner when he is released out of bonds, they that go down to sea when they are come up to land, and wayfaring men when they are come to the inhabited land. And they must make a confession before two men and two of them wise men. Psalm 107, 32. And the manner of confessing and blessing is thus. He standeth among them and blessing the Lord, the King Eternal, that bounteously rewardeth good thing unto sinners, etc. Maimony in Mishnah Treatise of Blessings, chapter 10, section 8. End quote. This is Ainsworth. And Rabbi Sokolow adds, quote, If any of this looks familiar, it is because Ainsworth essentially copied over an English version of Maimonides' comprehensive legal code, the Mishnah Torah, in Ainsworth's rendering, Maimony Mishnah, Hilchot Brachot, Treatise of Blessings, 10.8 which prescribes the four conditions under which Birkat HaGomel, the blessing after being spared from mortal danger, itself derived from Psalm 107, is to be publicly recited. Citing additional verses from the psalm, Bradford compared the pilgrims' arrival in America to the Jews' crossing of the Sinai Desert, corresponding to wayfaring men when they are come to the inhabited land, one of the four conditions requiring confession. End quote. So Rabbi writes, Thus, the future governor of Plymouth Colony would have read of the laws of the blessing of thanksgiving before he even arrived in America. And when we think about it, we realize how the laws of Gomel would have spoken to Bradford, to the way he looked at the pilgrim situation. The Mayflower was crossing not a sea, but an ocean. The pilgrims would have applied to themselves a psalm's description of escaping persecution and imprisonment. The pilgrims contended with all sorts of illness along the way. And... They certainly saw themselves as seeking God's protection 
as they came to a new world, which they saw as a wilderness. And when we look to Bradford's own account of the pilgrim journey and of the first years in America, his memoir of Plymouth Plantation, we find that he emphasizes that he and his compatriots were obligated by Scripture to thank God for their endurance, and in so doing, he is clearly citing and paraphrasing the 107th Psalm. Bradford writes, quote, May not and ought not the children of these fathers rightly say, Our fathers were Englishmen which came over this great ocean and were ready to perish in this wilderness. But they cried unto the Lord, and he heard their voice, and looked on their adversity, etc. Let them therefore praise the Lord, because he is good, and his mercies endure forever. Yea, let them which have been redeemed of the Lord show how he hath delivered them from the hand of the oppressor. When they wandered in the desert wilderness out of the way, and found no city to dwell in, both hungry and thirsty, their soul was overwhelmed in them. Let them confess before the Lord loving kindness and his wonderful works before the sons of men. This passage, of course, is full of citations of Psalm 107. And Bradford is thus stressing how the different situations described in the psalm parallels their own experiences. It is therefore not at all surprising that, as Nick Bunker notes, sections of the 107th Psalm were recited in a prayer uttered by the pilgrims upon arriving in America. This was 1620, a year before the marking of the moment of survival along with the Native Americans that is remembered today. That would only come in 1621. But, as Bunker further reflects, quote, if we can ask William Bradford to define the first Thanksgiving in America, he would point to something else. He would say that it took place at the instant of arrival, at the moment on Cape Cod, when the pilgrims fell on their knees to say the Jewish prayer, end quote. Rabbi Sokolow concludes his own summary of the implications of Bunker's thesis by writing as follows, quote, Bunker argues, consequently, that the very first prayer the pilgrims recited immediately upon their arrival in the New World had its origins in a distinctly Jewish practice. Accordingly, he considers this prayer service to be the original Thanksgiving, a service which predated by a full year the three days of feasting that served as the basis for the current American holiday. Even without turkey and cranberry sauce, this vestige of Jewish influence on the religious mores of the U.S. is worth our acknowledgement and contemplation, and of course, our thanksgiving, end quote. Rabbi Sokolow is certainly correct. Thus, we can truly say that the earliest origins of Thanksgiving in America speaks to one of the Hebraic roots of America. The Puritans that arrived after the Mayflower were equally obsessed with Hebrew scripture. And to this day, in the very same New England where the Mayflower landed, testaments to this obsession can be found. This was succinctly and sublimely described by President George W. Bush in his remarks on Israel's 60th anniversary to the Knesset. He said, quote, The alliance between our governments is unbreakable, yet the source of our friendship runs deeper than any treaty. It is grounded in the shared spirit of our people, the bonds of the book, the ties of the soul. When William Bradford stepped off the Mayflower in 1620, he quoted the words of Jeremiah, Come, let us declare in Zion the word of God. The founders of my country saw a new promised land and bestowed upon their towns names like Bethlehem and New Canaan. And in time, many Americans became passionate advocates for a Jewish state. End quote. The Hebraic influence on America is not the only influence on the country, and it is not one that is always evident today, but it is certainly one worth treasuring, rediscovering, and celebrating, and it is one that is itself a worthy reason for which to give thanks. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.